The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. Certified Financial Planner and uh, with a Master's Degree in Financial Analysis and CEO of Seattle-based, uh, globally spread uh, investment management and wealth management firm, Empirical Wealth Management. Today, uh, Ethan Brogan, my normal co-host, is out on a luxurious Disneyland vacation with his family. So uh, uh, it will just be uh, one of our other advisors, Sean Zubair. Hi Ken, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, good to see you uh, as usual. And uh, our uh, our our crack engineer Simon, uh, Simon Liu. Good afternoon, Simon. Hey Ken, how's it going? These guys are going to be uh, in on the show here. So today uh, on the show on our program, which was designed is designed to help uh, provide uh, insightful nuggets on how to make a lifetime of smart financial decisions. We want to help you make better financial planning and better investment decisions, um, help you get to where you're going quicker and preserve it and minimize the risk of getting off track or making big mistakes. And we do that with a lot of thought-provoking ideas here on the on the program. We try to examine um, both what's going on in the academic world of investing, the research around the best way to invest, uh, tracking and keeping a, an eye on what is going on with uh, various uh, financial planning rules and techniques that can be incorporated to help protect and preserve your assets. And uh, outside of that, uh, we, we try to look at what's kind of going on in the marketplace and point out where we see inconsistencies or interesting things that would provoke your thought or get you to re-examine how, how maybe conventional wisdom uh, has led us to go down one path and maybe how by, by taking a step back and looking at various cross points of, of something, you might come to a different decision or think differently about how you're investing. So today on the show, um, Sean, I was hoping you would give out our empirical market uh, weekly recap. and We could start with that and then go on to a little discussion about uh, a huge buzz about this David, uh, or I'm sorry, not David Sock, but I want to talk about that later. The uh, Goldman Sachs, Greg Smith, the former uh, Goldman Sachs employee who left and and uh, published his resignation in the New York Times op-ed piece. I, I want to talk about that, and then uh, I want to read it because it's it's so fascinating and interesting to me. And then I want to talk about it in the bigger picture of investors and and them getting investment advice. I was trying to tie these these things back to something that can be applied. Sean, you like that, don't you? 
I do. Um, and then if we have time after we dissect this, uh, I thought we could talk about a recent article that appeared in the Seattle Times uh, reprint of David Stockman, who was a former uh, budget director under Ronald Reagan, who wrote about uh, uh, an economic disaster in the works in his uh, comments about avoiding the stock market uh Altogether, actually, in the United States, and, and what my views are. We've got a lot of questions about that from clients and prospective clients. Hey, what, what do you think of this? And I'd love to kind of cover what the article, what he says in the article. It's a little Q and A session, and then uh, and then talk again about practical application and why you why you have to be very cautious when you do read articles, particularly when it's people who are otherwise we would consider to be very smart and in the market. Um, IQ does not always convert into making profitable decisions. It's a very interesting dichotomy in our in our uh, field and in, in finance. So, uh, go ahead. before we before you give out the uh, get into the market recap, there, Shantae. Sure. I'm gonna go ahead and give out our contact information. So, if you have any comments about the program. Any ideas or things you want us to cover or talk about? Any questions, articles, news, things that you want us to see? Uh, things we want to put in or take out of our little vault segment where people in the past have made predictions and then we take a look later to see how accurate they were? Um, give us a call or email us. You can email us at contact at empiradio.com, contact at empiradio.com. And uh, if you do, send us a question. We read it on the air. We'd love to be able to give your name and where you're from. And if we do do that, we'll give you one of our favorite financial books. And uh, if you want to give us a call on the program, uh, we are live here. You can uh, give us a buzz at 866-472-5790. Throughout the week, if you want to speak to me or Sean or Ethan or any of us here at Empirical, you can call us directly at the firm at one 800 Nine two three four three zero seven. All right, Sean. Let's Thanks. do it. And while you're doing that, I'll look for the uh, the door. I'm gonna we're gonna go out on the exchange floor. Uh, so you can go ahead and, and and get started. All right. Thanks, Ken. So I, I thought I'd start just with uh, you know the market recap you had talked about, and uh, the Dow closed today at thirteen thousand two hundred fifty two, um, which is a two point six seven increase over last week. Uh, the S&P 500 broke 14,000 and closed just slightly above that. Uh, that's a 2.44% increase over last week. Uh, the NASDAQ also closed uh, 3,056, uh, which is a 2.89% increase over last week. And that was a, uh, a special event crossing that 3,000, wasn't it? It was. Um, it, the Nasdaq had reached a level that hadn't been seen since the kind of the dot com uh, burst. Uh, it was a 12 year high, I believe, is is what the headline that I read. Um, and interestingly enough, the S and P 500 is actually at an interesting level as well. It's uh, about roughly 10 percent away from its all time high as well. All right. Uh, so going into the bond yields, uh, the one year Treasury is yielding uh, 20 basis points or two tenths of a percent. The uh, five-year Treasury is yielding 1.09. The 10-year Treasury is yielding 2.28. 
and maybe let me take a step back to that five-year treasury. That's a 88 basis point. Uh, last week was yielding 88 basis points. Um, the 30-year treasury is yielding 3.41%. And um, so if you want to compare that to the inflation-protected bonds of the same maturities, the five-year uh, inflation-protected was negative uh, 1.30. The 10-year is negative 0.12, uh, so that gives you a break-even on, on just the regular 10-year treasury of uh, 2.40. Uh, the 30-year inflation protected is at 86 basis points, which gives you a, a break-even of 2.55 over the 30-year uh, treasury. So both of those break-even points uh, are up from the previous week, um, telling us that the market is now uh, seeing slightly higher inflation than, than a week ago. Right. Um, which could, could coincide with this uh, uh, seven-day uh, market uh, 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 on the Dow here, seven straight day, I think, of a gain. Um, yeah, the spreads between similar maturity treasuries and then the inflation protected is generally a market consensus on the expectation for inflation, right? That's right. Um, what else did you want me to hit on this? Did you want me to go over some of the key rates? Or yeah, we could do that. Uh, prime rate seems to be unchanged, right? Unchanged. Three and a quarter, and we've got the uh, three-month LIBOR was unchanged. You can you can click through those, Sean. Okay. Uh, yeah, the CD, one-year CD unchanged. Uh, five one-year arm mortgage is up s slightly uh, at 2.84. The third-year mortgage rate has gone up. It's at 4.02 from uh, 3.88 of the previous week. Um, gold uh, is, is also, has, has gone down actually. Uh, it's at 1,647.60. Yeah, 1647. Keep that in mind when we get to that David Stockman article later. We'll, we'll bring up gold again. Crude's down a bit at $122 a barrel. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, good job there, Sean. After our work as usual. Uh, we've only got a few minutes here because of the way we're doing these segments. But um, I guess that made it easier for certain individuals here today. Um, so we'll, we'll start on this uh, David St uh Not David Stock, but I want to do that later. I want to start on the Goldman Sachs. Thing. Oh, yeah. Let's attack this because this is something that uh, I'm going to. Can we, can we get off the exchange here first? So I'm going to. Let me get off here. Hold on. Uh, all right. Close the door there, Sean. We're into, nice into some peace and quiet here. Tell Maria Bartiromo we'll, we'll get to her when this is over. I'm a little busy right now. I, I will send her the message. Um, okay, good. Anywho, um, I think it's just something that, that we've talked about for, our, for a long time, actually, since I've been doing this job, um, since I got out of college now. And it's been fascinating to kind of look at, the, the industry, and see the things that get that get written about it. See the kinds of trouble that the various investment banks, brokerage companies, and and uh, and uh, other other advisors get into. And then you have a whole set of people who are actually trying to just 
do one thing and do it as ethically as possible, and that's help individual clients meet and and uh, achieve their financial goals. And I think with all these different players, sometimes insurance companies, accountants, everybody seems to want to give financial advice uh, and and be around the money. So that should come as no surprise. Goldman Sachs has been around for something like 140 three years, I believe. Yeah, a long time. And uh, so I, I picked out some of the articles here as this came through, and I just thought it'd be an interesting thing to to cover. And uh, in case you haven't read the news, because maybe you're, you listen to the show, but you're not following every little nugget of financial news, I thought I would I would kind of read uh, through this this piece because it is so interesting. And uh, it was uh, came out, um, let's see if I... Uh, here it is. Why am I leaving Goldman Sachs? Again, this is New York Times, March 14th, so just yesterday. And he says that today, well, we've got a couple of minutes here, one minute. So I, I'm going to uh, maybe stop, pause here, Sean, and, and uh, talk for a second. When we come back, I'll start and we'll read through this. Okay, sure. And then jump on um, some of the other articles. And, and again, I want to put some context around all this. But why he was giving his his resignation, why am I leaving Goldman Sachs? And through this article, he gives a uh, an accounting of his experience and ultimately frustration and uh, around his employment to the point where he had, he wanted to terminate. We'll read it right when we get back. And uh, thanks again for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. 
We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken, and uh, got Sean Zubair sitting with me today. Hi, thanks, Ken. I just wanted to remind our listeners this is a live show, so if you have a question or want to call into the show, you can reach us at 866-472-5790. Also, feel free to send us an email at emp or contact at empiradio.com. We're happy to answer any of your emails or questions you might have. That's funny when you said that. It reminded me of the uh, Experience Music Project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was thinking, oh, go ahead and give us contact with the Experience Music Project, <laughs> which is pretty cool. If you've ever come to Seattle, I recommend you check it out. Yeah, it is a cool building. You're down at the uh, Space Needle area there. <clears throat> Hi, Sean. Well, going into the break, I was going to begin reading the, uh, and I'll read very quickly, uh, the piece here from uh, Greg Smith. Why am I leaving Goldman Sachs that uh, was printed yesterday in the New York Times? So I'm going to go ahead and start this. It's today is my last day at Goldman Sachs after almost 12 years at the firm. First as a summer intern while at Stanford, then in New York for 10 years, and now in London. I I believe I have worked here long enough to understand the trajectory of its culture, its people, and its identity. And I can honestly say that the environment now is as toxic and destructive as I have ever seen it. Hmm. Oh, hey, would you cue up the uh, the, mood, the mood music, uh, if that's possible, Simon? I don't know. No, that's not it. That's not it. Um, hold on a minute, guys. I, you know, I I have to have the right mood and everything. <laughs> it's got to be just right. It's a pretty strong statement in there from Greg. Yeah, Greg. Yeah. Uh, don't worry. I will. I will. I will get regrouped. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Now, where was I, Sean? Where was, oh, I know where I was. Um, I think I was at... Uh, I can honestly say that the environment now is as toxic and destructive as I have ever seen it. Hmm. To put the problem in the simplest terms, the interests of the client continue to be sidelined in the way the firm operates and thinks about making money. Goldman Sachs is one of the world's largest and most important investment banks, and it is too integral to global finance to continue to act this way. The firm has veered so far from the place I joined right out of college that I can no longer in good conscience say that I identify with what it stands for. It might sound surprising to to a skeptical public, but culture was always a vital part of Goldman Sachs' success. It revolved around teamwork, integrity, 
a spirit of humility and always doing right by our clients. The culture was the secret sauce that made this place great and allowed us to earn our clients' trust for 143 years. It wasn't just about making money. This alone will not sustain a firm for so long. It had something to do with pride and belief in the organization. I'm sad to say that I look around today and see virtually no trace of the culture that made me love working for this firm for many years. I no longer have the pride or the belief. But this was not always the case. For more than a decade, I recruited and mentored candidates through our grueling interview process. I was selected as one of 10 people out of a firm of more than 30,000 30, to appear on our recruiting video, which is played on every college campus we visit around the world. In 2006, I managed a summer intern program in sales and trading in New York for 80 college students who made the cut out of the thousands who applied. I knew it was time to leave when I realized I could no longer look the students in the eye and tell them what a great place this was to work. When the history books are written about Goldman Sachs, they may reflect that the current chief executive officer, Lloyd C. Blankenfein, and the president, Gary D. Cohn, lost hold of the firm's culture on their watch. I truly believe that this decline in the firm's moral fiber represents the single most serious threat to its long-run survival. Over the course of my career, I have had the privilege of advising two of the largest hedge funds on the planet, five of the largest asset managers in the United States, and three of the most prominent sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East and Asia. My clients have a total asset base of more than a trillion dollars. I have always taken a lot of pride in advising my clients to do what I believe is right for them, even if it means less money for the firm. This, is, this view is becoming increasingly unpopular at Goldman Sachs, another sign that it is time to leave. How did we get here? The firm changed the way it thought about leadership. Leadership used to be about ideas, setting an example and doing the right thing. Today, if you make enough money for the firm and are not currently an axe murderer, you will be promoted into a position of influence. What are the three quick ways to become a leader? A, execute on the firm's axes, which is Goldman, Goldman speak for persuading your clients to invest in stocks or other products that we are trying to get rid of because they are not seen as having a lot of potential profit. B, hunt elephants. In English, get your clients, some of who are sophisticated and some who aren't, to trade whatever will bring the biggest profit to Goldman. Call me old-fashioned, but I don't like selling my clients a product that is wrong for them. And C, find yourself sitting in a seat where your job is to trade any illiquid, opaque product with a three-letter acronym. Today, many of these leaders display a Goldman Sachs culture quotient of exactly 0%. I attend derivative sales meetings where not one single minute is spent asking questions about how we can help clients. It's purely about how we can make the most possible money off of them. If you were an alien from Mars and sat in on one of these meetings, you would believe that a client's success or progress was not part of the thought process at all. It makes me ill how callously people talk about ripping their clients off. Wow. 
Over the last 12 months, I've seen five different managing directors refer to their own clients as Muppets, sometimes over an internal email. Even after the SEC, Fabulous Fab, Abacus, God's Work, Carl Levine, Vampire Squids, no humility? I mean, come on. Integrity, Sean? It is eroding. I don't know of any illegal behavior, but will people push the envelope and pitch lucrative and complicated products to clients, even if they are not the simplest investments or the ones most directly aligned with the client's goals? Absolutely. Every day, in fact. It astounds me how little senior management gets a basic truth. If clients don't trust you, they will eventually stop doing business with you. It doesn't matter how smart you are. These days, the most common question I get from junior analysts about derivatives is, how much money do we make off the client? It bothers me every time I hear it because it is a clear reflection of what they are observing from their leaders about the way we should behave. Now project 10 years into the future. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that junior analysts sitting quietly in the corner of the room hearing about Muppets, ripping eyeballs out, and getting paid doesn't exactly turn into a model citizen. When I was a first-year analyst, I didn't know where the bathroom was or how to tie my shoelaces. Hey, Sean, you're a pretty, pretty young guy here. Uh, I was taught to be concerned with learning the ropes, finding out what a derivative was, understanding finance, getting to know our clients and what motivated them, learning how they defined success and what we could do to help them get there. My proudest moments in life, getting a... So we kind of... I don't know. I'm going to skip through I don't know. I don't think we need to hear about all this. I hope this can be a wake-up call to the board of directors. Make the client the focal point of your business again. Without clients, you will not make money. In fact, you will not exist. Weed out the morally bankrupt people, no matter how much money they make for the firm. And get the culture right again so people want to work here for the right reasons. People who care only about making money will not sustain this firm or the trust of its clients for very much longer. Greg Smith is resigning today as Goldman Sachs Executive Director and Head of the Firm's United States Equity Derivative Business in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. And I'm spent. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I usually don't read long articles uh, like that, Sean, but I thought it was so interesting that, uh, and, and if you're just listening while you're working or whatever, I thought maybe I could read it, save you some time. And then we can talk about it. And one of the things uh, there, and, and that I've said is, it's it's one thing to um, we got a few minutes here, Sean. So it's one thing to to put a great website up. If if you look at any of the big corporations, many who are the guilty parties of a lot of the uh, uh, unethical behavior that they've. If we're talking about Goldman Sachs here. Um, Recently, they were there. I think they paid about five hundred and uh, was it fifty million dollars settlement. Goldman paid a record five hundred fifty million dollars to uh, find to settle allegations. Um, neither, keep in mind, neither admitting or denying them. Uh, the U.S. Senate later took testimony from Goldman's chief. So um, that that issue was charging Goldman with defrauding clients due to its alleged lack of disclosure of a complex subprime mortgage-backed security product. Well, there's been several things. And when you look at this, part of it is um, 
if you create a culture where those types, where people who generate the most revenue are the ones that wind up getting the promotions or moving ahead, and you have a very short-term um, incentive system, so even for CEOs that can walk away from these deals, the other article I was reading is the uh, the uh, uh, there was a actually a Rolling Stones article back in 2009, and um, Robert Steele, former Goldmanite head of Wachovia, scored himself and his fellow executives $225 million in uh, golden parachute payments as his bank was self-destructing. So if you have a system where uh, this, there are very short-term incentives, they can walk away. We were talking about this the other day. Without any penalties, right? They, if you walk out with $225 million, I was just listening to a, uh, on the local radio story about five guys that, uh, five or six guys at work that were buying lottery tickets. I don't know if you heard this one, but the one guy who was buying it for the group, uh, had a winning ticket, 35 million and kept it to himself. I did hear about that. Um, and anytime you have large monies with short term incentive, people who are otherwise might be normal. And there's been some really cool fi- uh, behavioral finance stuff on this, uh, that Dan Ariel book, um, predictably irrational. He talks about what, what gets this behavior, people that might otherwise be normal, reasonably ethical people, um, when you put them in certain environments, it, it it somehow becomes acceptable to do what would otherwise be odd and unethical behavior. We've got to take another break uh, for Sean's request, so we're going to go ahead and do that, and uh, we'll be we'll pick back up on this when we get back. Thanks again. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment, and that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. 
Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Ken and uh, Sean and Simon today in studio. We're talking about the uh, Goldman Sachs uh, employee, Greg Smith, that uh, put his re- letter of re- resignation in the uh, New York Times. And uh, the title, Why Am I Leaving Goldman? I just read the article. And uh, part of the break was kind of laying a framework. But before we get back into this... I just wanted to remind our listeners that uh, this is a live show, and you can feel free to give us a call or send us an email. You can reach us at 866-472-5790 or by email at contact at empiradio.com. We can also be reached any other time at 800-923-4307, so feel free to give us a call with any questions you might have. Great. Thanks, Sean. Sure. So the framework I was working on there before the break was this idea that in these major institutions and the way the whole Wall Street uh, history has evolved, they have a mechanism and a system of making money that in order for the client's interest to be put first, it requires people to go outside of what becomes the behavioral norm inside those firms. Mm-hmm. And I was referring to the work that... Uh, Dan Ariel wrote the book Predictably Irrational, and there's several other behavioral finance guys out there, um, psychologists, and, and uh, that have, have written papers on this whole thing. It was what causes what otherwise would be normal ethical students or, um, or uh, individuals in the workplace to begin to engage in, in what would later be classified as unethical behavior, but at the time becomes more and more acceptable or seems to be uh, become normative to them and, and what causes that and I think it's a system in which I don't want to be the customer of a company in which the only way that I'm going to get regardless of what they print in their company ethics or values or corporate values all of these firms you go to their website they look like poster boys for charities right I mean they, they just are the most philanthropic um they uh, give back to the community, and and they do all these great things and, and ethics and putting the client first. A lot of um, smiling faces. Yeah, I mean, there's a nice big facade, but that's you have to follow the money, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's one thing to say the, all of that. We say that, but then how do we work with clients, and why is it different? How can we, if you follow the money and follow how this works, how can you be more confident that if you work with an independent firm like us, that like Empirical, for example, that, that these types of things wouldn't be happening. Um, and it's really what's actually, I mean, the very sim- quick and simple way is to try to, is to figure out where are they making money? Are they making, if you are a client, and, and I'm going to switch into not a client who's trading securities, um, 
with a warehouse, but a client who is the world we live in is we're trying to help individuals, not large institutions or speculators, um, facilitate them gambling or losing their money. We're actually trying to help individual people who work very hard for their money, who spend a lifetime accumulating it or their families have over multiple generations. And they, they understand how important and serious that responsibility is and they want to make the best financial decisions. They want to, they want and need to get help. Uh, I believe most of us, no matter how smart we are, as much as I know about investing, I have made a commitment over the rest of my lifetime. I'm not going to be the sole person managing and placing trades and, and investing my accounts. Um, I realize that I know enough to know enough that I don't know enough that my, my emotions and, 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 uh, and discipline can be tested if I'm the only one that's going to be held accountable. And I have read enough about all the psychological drawbacks that we have to know that I'm not uh, above all of those things. So in my view, you, everyone should have somebody guiding them along the process, and they should be adding value for whatever fees that is. I prefer some sort of uh, flat management fee as a result of, of managing the money, some sort of retainer, some sort of hourly bill. But what I wouldn't want in other professions, and it's not here to, to I'm not here to, to criticize other professions, but certainly if you read the book, uh, Freakonomics, or Super Freakonomics, one of the two there, but they talk about real estate agents in the study they did where it's, hey, on average when realtors sell their own properties, they seem to get higher prices than what they get for their clients. And if we follow the money, right, the incentive system is, Geez, if I'm selling a, uh, a house for a client, I might encourage them. Maybe it's subconsciously. Maybe they have the best intentions, but if you follow the money down, something makes them feel good about, well, the client needs to get out of the house. They want to sell a house. And in order to do that, um, we're going to have to reduce the price. And uh, if you're basing a commission that's uh, selling a, a million-dollar home and it was a, t- a 6% commission, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get $60,000 on something like that gross. I'm not saying any individual realtor, but whatever that is, say it's going being split between all the parties involved. But getting a client to sell their house at $900,000 um, does not dramatically reduce that commission amount, but it is a pretty good chunk of money difference to the net to the person selling the house. And so it may not always even be an overt conscious thing. But it's the system that I'm more interested in than relying on the ethics of each individual person at a firm that has 30,000 people, right? Yeah. Um, in any institution, there's going to be bad apples. But it gets, it's, it's very interesting when you kind of pull the sheets back and get into the culture. And all you have to do is say, in any one of any of these firms, is to say, hey, the person, uh, let's start with the company and understand how they make money. How are they generating money from me being a client? And if I follow that trail around long enough, how then uh, does the person who's giving me the specific advice or the recommendations, how are they generating a paycheck? Sure. You know? And you got to dig a little deeper even than just, a, hey, well, they don't receive a flat commission for selling me these investments. That's not deep enough in my view. I think you still need to understand, was there bonuses involved here? Is there a keeping your job kind of a thing for you need to be placing people in these particular products or uh, investment products specifically is what I'm referring to. Hey, this 
particular mutual fund or investment structure. I would want that, uh, and imagine, um, I would want to remove that conflict as much as possible. And it's something that the entire industry still grapples with, um, is what is the fairest and best way to be compensated for giving financial advice? You know, if I'm selling insurance policies, should I be paid a, a very large one-time commission to do that when there's not maybe as much work to do after I've sold the policy? Um, or should I be paid some consultation fee uh, to help the client? Now, in our world, we don't sell insurance, right? So part of the package of what we do is we assess the client's individual insurance and protection needs. And we say, hey, this, this would be a, a good policy to go out and get. Um, and we want to consider the firm stability, the rating, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and also then, you shouldn't be paying this huge commission to get the advice to do that. And there's all this debate for years and years about the best model to do it. But one thing is, whoever's recommending it, it would be nice to know that the person that's recommending it is not on the receiving end of some large commission or pay or incentive. Yeah. Um, and it just takes a little time and energy to figure that out. But if you follow the trail of which firms tend to come up uh, in the uh, in these articles a lot, um, I, I think we're just looking at deeper into the in the culture of how people are getting prepaid and what Greg here, the the exiting um, Goldman Sachs executive, was saying was, hey, you know, there's there's a uh, an incentive system that if you want to get in ha- ahead. Um, it may not even be a direct commission that the person receives. It's how do I get the promotion, and that's going to be generating revenue for the firm. And how does that happen? Yeah, sure. So, it, to me, it's it's been very clear, and we've been saying I've been saying this for at least ten years now that I don't quite understand, uh, and I'm not here to attest to the accuracy of these statements or anything. But what is clear is what when the fines come down. You know the the five hundred and fifty million dollars settlement. Yeah. The other thing that's going on with them, uh, I think the SEC is going after them for um, a different issue right now. But it's not just Goldman Sachs, you know, that has been the issue, and and the firms that were part of the financial crisis and all that. Um, and so, again, if if I was working with uh, someone, and I think most people should be. That's why I'm in this business, because I honestly believe that, that there's a huge value, enormous life-changing difference having a coach. Um, just like, you know, I love listening to Tony Robbins or any of his material. I'm sure he wouldn't do it if he didn't think he was helping people. And and uh, and it has a belief that everyone could use some guidance and a coach in their life. And in this case, it's in the financial area. It's just kind of sad that it is so confusing because there's so many people coming from so many different places to try to give you this advice um, that, you know, one of the filters I would look for is somebody who really does comprehensive financial planning and comes up with a set of investment solutions and doesn't get compensated directly from any of those. Um, what is their agenda? And, and what is, conflicts of interest do they have? Yeah. And um, so... Uh, one other little part on that, Sean, if you uh, if you want to hear it, is this: I was looking before the show to see if they, had, if Goldman Sachs had responded to any of this stuff. And there's a little article, Fox Business, um, is with the link by Elizabeth McDonald. Goldman Sachs hits back. Current and former Goldman Sachs executives dispute claims in the New York Times editorial piece 
that the culture of at the Wall Street's uh, most powerful firm is eroded to the point where it's now toxic and destructive, where Goldman executives disparage clients calling them Muppets, and that Goldman puts its trading interest ahead of clients. So here's some quotes I thought were kind of interesting. One of the executives says, uh, yes, we're tough, and yes, we play hardball, but we do put our trading, uh, but we do, but do we put our trading before our clients? Absolutely not. Again, if that's not true, then you could look at exactly how they're making money. Are the trades that, that are going through, as Greg says, it would be very easy to verify this. Are the trades on the ESTs and the stuff that they're recommending uh, more or less profitable than things, the trades that go through that weren't on their recommended list or trades that they weren't pushing through? Um, that would be interesting to see. It wouldn't be very hard. Yeah. So to put your money where your mouth is, right? It'd just be a function of let's take a look at that data. Let's examine the empirical data on this. Um, another official noted that we run a large fiduciary business as asset managers, so our client-focused culture is paramount. Adding, if we put ourselves before our trading clients, then who are the blank? Are who the blank are we trading for? Um, just even a statement like that says something to me. Yeah. Um, when asked about disparaging comments about client, a managing director said the traders at all at all Wall Street shops, quote, talk like this all the time. It's Wall Street. No one drags clients in here handcuffed, kicking and screaming to do business with us, end quote. So I guess he's saying, if I'm reading that, that if you're dumb enough to do business with them, uh, why would you be angry that you're called a Muppet when no one asked you to? You know, yeah, it's, a, it's like if you asked your girlfriend out and she said yes, she can call you a muppet because you're the one who asked for it. She didn't ask you out on a date. It's awful. Tron. Awful. So I don't know if you enjoy being called a muppet or a uh, or something else. It wasn't a meathead. It was some something Machismo? else. Machismo. Yeah. And then this is interesting here before we have, go to this last break. Uh, it says. Like most Wall Street employees, Smith, the, the former Goldman Sachs, uh, signed a uh, non-disclosure, non-disparagement, and non-compete contract with Goldman. The, the Goldman official says declined to comment on whether uh, it will take action. And part of that is that Smith got restricted stock units, but to qualify to take delivery of those, the firm must classify you as a good corporate worker, a good lever, so to speak. So I think it's interesting when companies have to put those clauses in, um, the non-disparagement clause. It's kind of interesting. I'd love to dig into that a little further. Yeah. But um, hey, you can leave, but you just can't say anything bad about us. Well, if the things you had, that happened were true, why can't you? What, what's wrong? You know what I'm like? So, I'll take it. Yeah. Well, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about this other article that uh, – the Stockman, David Stockman, wrote in the, that was in the uh, Seattle Times. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. 
inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, well, welcome back. I just wanted to remind our listeners here that this is a live show and we would be happy to answer any questions you might have. You can reach us at 866-472-5790 or by email at contact at empiradio.com. And as we are approaching the end of the hour here, I just want to remind that remind you that if uh, you aren't able to get we aren't able to get to your call on the show, you can also reach us at 800-923 Four three zero seven. Again, we'd be happy to take any of your calls. Excellent. All right, thanks, Sean. We were uh, just wrapping up the uh, discussion on the Goldman Sachs resignation, and uh, to clarify, the couple of things here at the end of this article was um, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission charged Goldman in 2010 with defrauding clients due to its alleged lack of disclosure over a complex subprime mortgage-backed security product where Goldman's marketing, marketing materials didn't disclose the role of a prominent hedge fund run by John Paulson in selecting assets. And then, uh, and then Goldman paid a record $550 million fine to settle the allegations. And then recently, Goldman was charged with conflicts of interest in $38 billion uh, merger between El Paso and Kinder Morgan. There's this... The, uh, the uh, Rolling Stones article from 2009 was, was pretty interesting. I won't get into it here, but they kind of outline the history of how Goldman's been involved with um, being a, a pretty good chunk of the market speculation and, and uh, market, they call it market manipulation and um, bubbles and things like that. So pretty interesting. Anyway, I want to talk about, um, show the last few minutes that we've got here, a couple of things about uh, this David Stockman, who is the uh, uh, former White House Budget Director and Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I've been um, interested to hear about this. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to kind of, because we only have a few minutes here, skip to the the story. Um, uh, but spend time with him. He discovers former uh, wonderkin of uh, Reagan revolutionaries, many, many other things now, an advocate for higher taxes, a critic of the work that made him rich and a scared investor who doesn't own a single stock for fear of another financial crisis. Hmm. And uh, Stockman says she'd be a fool to hold anything but cash now and maybe a few bars of gold. 
He thinks the Federal Reserve's efforts to ease the pain from the collapse of our national leverage buyout, uh, his term for decades of re- reckless debt-fueled spending by the government, families, and companies, is pumping stock and bond markets to dangerous heights. Known for his grasp of budgetary minutiae, First, as the Michigan congressman, then Reagan's uh, budget director, Stockman, still dazzles with his command on numbers. If you ask him about jobs, statistics, he'll be able to give them to you pronto. Um, and there's a little Q&A here. Um, now, a couple things. He's writing a book, um, and so I want you to keep that in mind. I will. But uh, as he goes through here, he talks about why are you so – the question was, why are you so down on the U.S. economy? It's become super saturated with debt. Um, so he's talking about how there is more and more debt historically. Um, how fast can the economy grow? He talks about people would say the standard's three to three and a half percent. I don't think we could. Uh, I don't even know if we could grow one percent to two percent when you have to stop borrowing at these tremendous rates. Um, and so he kind of goes along. Again, we don't have a lot of time to think. What will the ten-year Treasury yield and a year or five years, I have no guess, but I don't know where it is, uh, but I do know where it is now. Yield of 2% is totally artificial. It's, it's a result of massive purchases by not only the Fed, but all of the other central banks of the world. Um, what's wrong with that? He says it doesn't come out of savings. It's made up of, uh, it's made up money. It's printing press money. When the Fed buys 5 million worth of bonds this morning, which it's doing periodically, it simply deposits 5 million in the banks. Uh, bank accounts of eight dealers that they buy bonds from. And the consequences of that are horrendous. If you could make the world rich by having all the central banks print unlimited money, then we have been making a mistake for the last several thousand years of human history. And um, basically, I, you know, Shani, it goes on. I don't know if you read the article. Um, but he basically goes on to talk about how we've got to get out of debt and I think most people think that reducing the debt level is a good thing, and how uh, once we stop borrowing at the level we w- we do, um, so it said, one of the questions was, but the stock market is trading cheap by some measures. It's valued at 12.5 times expected earnings. The typical multiple is 15. Um, he says the typical multiple is based on a historic period when the economy could grow at a standard rate. The idea that you can capitalize this market at a rate that was safe to capitalize in 1990 or 70 or 55 is a mistake. It's a Wall Street sales pitch. Um, and um, I'm just trying to skip this because we don't have a lot of time. Um, yeah, it sounds as if we're facing a financial crisis like the one that followed the collapse of the Lehman Brothers in 2008. Oh, far worse than Lehman. When the real margin call in the great beyond arrives, the carnage will be unimaginable. Um, how do investors protect themselves? He says, I wouldn't touch the stock market with a 100-foot pole. It's a dangerous place. It's not safe for men, women, or children, or even your pet dog <laughs> that you just got, John. Um, so he kind of basically says that the earnings will evaporate. And that's a good point. I want to Talk about that because when you talk about the value of companies back in the late 90s when they were trading at extremely high multiples, right. um, certain segments of the market, the thought was, well, they won't be at high multiples indefinitely into the future because these earnings will materialize that um, will make these good values mm-hmm. compared to the, you know, it's, it's going to be based on future earnings. Um, and the same thing can happen 
you're going to have a very low P.E. ratio. But what makes it low is that those is the earnings that it's based upon. And if those earnings disappear, you have an infinite number. If you have no earnings, right, what's your P.E. ratio? Right. Um, it's an infinitely high number. And so if you look at when we went into the market decline um, throughout the financial crisis, it was interesting because earnings were going down. Um, and there was huge amounts of negative earnings, actually, in several of these uh, companies. And um, so while it was going down, the, the P.E. ratio wasn't compressing as fast as the market was going down, right? Right. Because earnings were going down so significantly. Um, now, when we talk about these historic heights, or he was talking about on the stock market, um, I, I'm a little concerned about that because we had a huge decline um, and we had earnings, and then we had a huge decline in the market, 50% on a global basis from peak to bottom, right? Mm-hmm. That corresponded with 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 a drop in, in decline in earnings. And now you have earnings that have come back over the last couple of years. And as they've come back, the multiple of the market hasn't expanded extremely. You know, if it was trading at 45 times in 19, um, right before the the decline in the in, in uh, 2000 March 2000, the S&P was trading around uh, 29, 30 times, and at one point, one month, I think it was up to 40 something um, times earnings. And you get to look at that and say, "Wow, that, you know that that's pretty high." Um, we're here. We're talking about 12 and a half times the forward PE, right? Um, so the bright side of it, I guess, is that if I was heading into something where mark, where earnings were going to decline because we're over leveraged with debt, I'd, I'd much rather be in it where the where the value or the the multiple I'm paying is is cheaper than forty times right. earnings. Right, the price is already low. Yeah. Well, we can't fully talk about this. We're out of time, but maybe we can start next week with. Uh, dissecting this David Stockman economy question and answer session. Yeah, maybe we'll start and, with uh, it. Yeah. Thanks again for tuning in this week on Empirical Investing Radio, and we'll see you next week. enjoyed empirical investing radio with ken smith and ethan broga please join us again next thursday afternoon at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel and for more information about empirical investing radio please call 800-923-4307 we'll see you next week